I've got a little challenge for you, Sark. A new recruit. What kind of program is he? He's not any kind of program, Sark. He's a user. A user? That's right. He pushed me in the real world. Somebody pushes me, I push back, so I brought him down here. A programmer fights for his life inside a computer's mainframe. Join us as we talk about betting on Hyali, a Zordon lookalike, and how to make a sausage party. Then we find out if 1982's Tron stands the test of time. Time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with the glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Test of Time. I'm James Brief, and I'm excited to talk about today's movie with my friend, my buddy, the director of this show, Alan Noah. Hi, that's me. It is nice to see you, James. How you doing? I am good. It is a heat wave right now, so I am enjoying being inside, talking about a computer movie that I watched in an air-conditioning apartment. And it is so interesting to talk about weather, especially on a podcast, which isn't live. So, you know, (laughs) how are you doing, Al? I am doing very well. I have some, I don't know if it's really news, and I honestly don't know if anyone will really care, but I have talked about it on the podcast before, so I feel compelled to mention that I did it. I did the triathlon. I said I was going to do it this year, and I did it. I am officially a triathlete. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's an amazing achievement. Just remind everyone what, what a triathlon is. So you swim, you bike, and you run. I did what's called a sprint triathlon, which means that the distances are fairly low. It was a half-mile swim, a 14-mile bike ride, and then a 5K run. So that's 3.1 miles. Wow. I mean, half-a-mile swim is a lot longer than you think it is. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. On the T-shirt, it says the distance in meters for that. I think it's 800 meters just because, like, you know, it's like 14 miles, 3.1 miles half a mile like it doesn't look like a big number but yeah that is a long distance when you're in the ocean swimming it definitely feels very very long Uh, i saw a meme once that said i assume a shark can swim faster than me but i assume i can run faster than a shark so if we were ever to compete in a triathlon it would all come down to our abilities on the bicycle That's pretty funny. And, you know, there have been a lot of shark attacks around Long Island recently. I don't know if that's huge news in the city or around the country. Probably not. But um, it did cross my mind while I was swimming. Like, uh, I'm kind of open prey. But then again, I'm with like a lot of other swimmers and I'm not fast, but there are definitely slower people and people with more meat on their bones. I was like, eh, if there's a shark attack, what are the odds he's going to just pick me, you know? Al, when I zoom in on this picture, 
This is a picture of you at the finish line, um, looking pretty ripped. Uh, congratulations. Why, thank you. Uh, on first appearance, it would look like you put war paint on yourself, but this is actually your natural chest hair, <laughs> is it not? <laughs> yeah. But uh, if I zoom in on the pectoral areas here, do I see what looks like numbers shaved into the, to the chest hair here? Yeah, so the idea was that because I wasn't going to wear a shirt during the race, that I would shave the number into my chest hair. And like, you know, they give you a number when you do the race. And I was wearing it like on my shorts. And they give you tattoos to like put the number on your right bicep and your left calf. And you have to put it all over your bike and everything so that you can find your pictures when they take all these pictures. But I was like, oh, maybe I'll like shave the number into my chest hair. And I said that in front of the kids and they thought that was really, really funny. And then they wanted to help shave the 415 into my chest hair, which was a mistake because my kids don't know how to shave. Why did I hand them a razor and allow them to do it? It didn't really come out great. But then I just uh, asked a stranger at the race. Literally, what I said to him was, this is the weirdest thing a stranger can ask another stranger, but could you just take this Sharpie and write numbers on my chest? And he was like, sure. And uh, he put the the numbers there where the kids had shaved. And then you could kind of see the numbers there, but it was a mistake. That was not a uh, a wise decision on my part. But congratulations. I mean, that is uh, envious. Uh, I ran a mile a couple of days nice. ago. <laughs> Nice. Uh, yeah, uh, a mile. So I ran, um, you know, about a third of what you ran and none of what you swam and none of what you biked. How, how long, how far did you bike? 14 miles. 14 miles. Wow. That's not that bad. That sounds like a lot, but it's really not. Which one was longer? I'm trying to gauge like what you're doing for each of these three things. The swim took me 20 minutes, 48 seconds. The biking was an hour, zero minutes and 16 seconds. And the run was 26 minutes, 21 seconds. And then they also factor in the time in between after the swim, before the bike and after the bike, before the run. Those are your transition times, which do factor into your total time. That's cool. Well, let's go from talking about a triathlete to a Tron athlete. Oh, that's terrible. No, it's, oh, it, it's that's so bad. <laughs> fine, fine. We'll use it. That's a good segue. Okay, let's go with it. At least I didn't say Tronfleet. <laughs> oh, they even hurt saying. That would have been worse. But uh, yeah, Tron. Had you ever seen this film? Yeah, I feel like I saw it once years ago. I don't really remember when or why. It was like, I want to say maybe 10, 15 years ago. I was like, hey, I never saw this movie Tron. I should check it out. And I remember thinking that it was weird, but that was really all I remembered about it. And I watched it last night with the kids, and I was like, wow, I don't remember any of this, like any of the details. Really, the only thing I remembered was the light cycles. Yeah, you know, Tron falls into this weird area of movies in the early 80s because we were too young to have seen it in the theaters. And this film did not really, like, enter the zeitgeist by the time we were children. And I think for people that were older, Tron was a big deal whether they saw it or not. But everyone was talking about it. Like, when Avatar came out, whether you liked it or not, people talked about the 3D and how revolutionary it was. By the 90s, you didn't 
didn't really care because even by the 90s, some of this stuff was already outdated from state-of-the-art stuff that no one had ever seen before to, uh, yeah, you could probably do that on like a 90s Macintosh. But I have an older brother and sister, so in my house, I think we might have had some, like, picture book from the movie. So you're saying you knew Tron? <laughs> yes, I, James, or Jimmy, knew Tron. <laughs> See what I did there? Oh, God. <laughs> the jokes are terrible in this episode. Um, but let's just give our listeners a recap of the movie. It's about a computer programmer named Kevin Flynn, who's played by Jeff Bridges. Flynn used to work at a company called Encom, where he developed several games. But a rival named Dillinger stole the credit, and he was promoted to senior executive vice president. Flynn is trying to hack into Encom's system to find proof of Dillinger's plagiarism, and he finds two allies in his friends Alan and Laura. Unfortunately, they hit a snag when ENCOM's Master Control Program, or MCP, pulls Flynn into the mainframe. There, he teams up with Tron, a security program created by Alan, as well as several other programs that are fighting back against the MCP and its chief henchman, Sark. Flynn and Tron survive deadly computer games and other digital obstacles as they make their way to the MCP's core, with the hopes of destroying the evil artificial intelligence once and for all. And I know that this movie was not a big hit when it came out. It's kind of regarded as a cult classic, which means that it wasn't a blockbuster on its initial release. Uh, that is correct. Uh, this movie was released on July 9th, 1982, and it opened with $4.7 million at number two. The film in number one, it had been in number one for many, many weeks, and it would go on to be number one for many, 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 many weeks. Oh, I'm going to say it's 1982. That's your only clue. E.T., the extraterrestrial? That is correct. So Tron um, wound up uh, limping its way to $33 million, and the arcade games, which I do remember, the arcade games were actually a big hit and wound up outgrossing the gross of the film. They were definitely, like, in most arcades. There were two games. There was a game called Tron, and then there was Discs of Tron. And these were sometimes one of those really fancy, you could go in and, and there was, like, a mirror behind you, and it was uh, quite interesting and gimmicky. Do you remember this arcade machine? Not at all, no. I might have had earlier exposure to arcades probably when I was like two or three because of my older siblings. Like going to birthday parties, like picking them up and like trying these things and just seeing them. But I definitely remember those. So Tron and Dis of Tron, they didn't really, you know, last. Like these are not the kind of games you would still see like tucked away in like a retro corner like a Galaga or a Ms. Pac-Man or Street Fighter. But it was a big deal in the t at the time. But, you know, this film, even though it was a commercial flop, it really was pretty groundbreaking for kind of the dawn of really these computer graphics. And it's not like Beauty and the Beast, which is drawn a lot better than Cinderella. It's more like, wow, Toy Story and Shrek. These are different than anything any human can draw. So similar at the time, for the first time seeing some of these computer graphics that, you know, for us, we take for granted or even look pretty cheesy, they were something that people had never seen. Yeah, and it's funny you say Toy Story because I read a thing that John Lasseter, who was the head honcho at Pixar for many years, he said that if there was no Tron, there would be no Toy Story. And that really is Tron's legacy 
pun on the sequel, Tron colon Legacy. But like really, the fact is, is that this was the first movie to really use CGI when CGI wasn't well known. It wasn't a thing. It wasn't popular. It was frowned upon by the Academy Awards. This movie was not nominated for visual effects because the Academy was like mad that it used computer effects and they considered it cheating. And like, that's Kind of hilarious looking at it 40 years later where it's like, well, how else would you do it? You know, it was computers versus the people that were doing the practical effects. Just like the Oscars did with best animated film versus best picture. They could have done best practical effects and best uh, computer uh, aided effects in some way. But they chose to just call it like best visual effects. And they thought maybe this was a gimmick, a one-off that someone can't really replicate until you realize, no, this is going to be what every single special effect is going to be from now on. Right, right, right. And let's keep talking about the visual effects because it's easy to imagine that these effects really blew people away 40 years ago, but god damn do they look terrible now. I mean, they just look dated. Everything is like gray or like bright blue or bright red. When they're in the computer, it's really like kind of hard to see what's going on and it feels like so much of the special effects are lines just lines well what you're describing is vector graphics and that's a lot of what tron is and what you said in the beginning is spot on you really have to watch this movie with a lens of i wonder what this was like for people in 1982. Why did Siskel and Ebert give it four stars, each of them? They didn't talk much about the plot. They were like, this is like an hour and a half of a dazzling visual thing you've never seen. You gotta see it on the big screen. You know, those guys were big theater people. And I get it. Maybe not four stars, but like, I'm reminded of one of the first pieces of film ever shown to people at uh, like one of these fairs. Have you ever heard of this film? It's the famous railroad film. And basically a guy, I guess it's a late 19th century, he put a camera right on the side of a train and the train is coming towards them. But of course the camera's on the side. So you see the train pass and they showed this footage. Maybe it was 11 seconds or something. And people started screaming because it was like a painting was coming at you. It was, you know, something uh, they had never seen before. I absolutely love that. And, I mean, everyone's seen that picture of these people in the 1950s with those stupid uh, red and blue 3D glasses. And even though the effects were corny, like, people had never seen this stuff. And, like, there was no plot to it, but someone throwing something out of a movie theater at you and the whole theater laughing. This stuff was just fun for the time. And the special effects for the time would have blown people away. And there are some effects that I actually kind of liked in this film. I I don't like any of the shots with the humans in them. I think the humans look terrible. But sometimes when there's just shots of tanks riding along, yes, they look like corny polygon and vector graphics. But, um, you know, kind of in like a Minecraft sort of way, they kind of look kind of retro cool. But 
Um, for me, a lot of the special effects don't work. Yeah, I think the Minecraft kind of aesthetic that you're talking about, to me, I classify that as more like 8-bit, 16-bit kind of graphics, like Nintendo, Super Nintendo, and this is more like Atari 2600. And when you play an Atari 2600 game, it just looks like crap. And yeah, I used to love it. I'm not putting it down. I understand that it was revolutionary at the time, but like when I show it to my kids, they're just like, well, it's just lines and blocks and not like in the cool Minecraft way where, oh, you get it. That's a person. Like in Pitfall, that person barely looks like a person. Oh, I definitely think that gaming started with uh, the 8-bit generation, specifically Super Mario Brothers and, sure, uh, sure, sure, sure. and Legend of Zelda. But I do think you're doing a disservice by saying that this looks anything like an Atari 2600. A Nintendo cannot do these graphics. This reminded me of a 90s computer game. Do you remember Spectre? I have heard of it, but I didn't play it. It was one of these like 3D battle tank kind of games and, and could make these kind of graphics. So this was at least 10 years ahead of what you could realistically do uh, on your home computer. And, you know, while they're definitely cheesy today, it would definitely blew people away back then. It had to have blown people away. Sure, 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 sure. The light cycle scene, I think, is like the kind of special effect that people really remember from this movie. And they're opening a new ride at Disney World that's based on the light cycles. It's like Tron light cycle run. And I feel like that's kind of neat. I also wasn't that particularly impressed by that scene. But like speaking of video games, I forget if you were here when we were playing Astro Bears at this year's Knicks Marathon. Were you here for that? Or maybe that was when you were downstairs sleeping? No, I was here. I, I, that, that's like a four player sort of battle royale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And basically, it's kind of like the Tron light cycles, because you play as these four bears running around a planet, and you can't touch the line that follows you, you know, as you're running around the planet. And that game is really fun. It's like $7. You can download it on Switch, maybe other platforms too. I'm not sure. But um, when I try to explain what Astro Bears is, I usually say, oh, it's like the Tron light cycle. Uh, And I don't know if people know what I'm talking about. But I feel like the light cycle is like the most memorable thing about Tron. And I would say it's probably the most visually impressive thing in this movie. Although that's not saying much, in my opinion. You know, I thought that the light cycle scene, it was still kind of cool. There were definitely shots I didn't like. Um, I liked when you could see both cars, kind of like the overhead view. I thought overall it was cool, but uh, it's a dated, dated scene. Yes. Also, things that look dated is the MCP, the Master Control Program, which in the beginning part of the movie is just kind of like this disembodied face. But then at the end, it's this big giant shape that's spinning around. And I immediately was like, hey, that's Moses from South Park. And I didn't realize that Moses from South Park is very much based on the MCP and is, you know, maybe even a a ripoff or a loving homage, depending on your point of view. And there have been a few Tron references in South Park over the years, but it's just like this big kind of shape where it spins around and there's a face in it. 
And it just kind of made me laugh imagining this thing in Tron speaking like Moses in South Park where he's like, I desire popcorn necklaces and macaroni pictures. Like, that's just really funny. Yeah, and Al, I only know this reference because uh, Amanda, my sister, is uh, seven and a half years younger than me. So what I thought of when I saw MCP at the end, he looks exactly like Zordon from Power Rangers. We didn't watch Power Rangers, but my little sister definitely did. Zordon from the Power Rangers was this weird floating head. And he's got that, you know, Wizard of Oz kind of thing, except the Wizard of Oz from 1939 looked way better than the MCP. I just Googled Zordon, and yeah, I get it, but he definitely looks more like Moses than Zordon. And I think that's by design. That's what Trey Parker and Matt Stone were going for when they made Moses. But let's move away a little bit from the special effects and talk about the plot of this movie, which is really, really thin. Basically, the whole point is that Flynn is mad that he didn't get credit for these video games that he designed and Dillinger stole the credit and he wants to like break into the system and prove that he designed the video games. And look, plagiarism sucks. It sucks when you work hard on something and someone else takes credit. I'm not disputing that or minimizing that, but it's also just really, really low stakes for this movie. And At the end, he does get the proof that he was looking for that Dillinger stole his video game ideas. It's a printout that just says game by Flynn annexed by Dillinger, which like very easily he could have just typed that out at any point if that was all of the quote unquote proof he needed, which apparently works because then Dillinger's fired and he's the new boss. It's just like really anticlimactic. You know... I can make up a 100% different plot and say the military has a top secret program. We need to beam you into a computer so that you can get into the Soviet's computer and stop a nuclear bomb. And then he would beam into the computer. And I think the rest of the movie would be exactly the same either way. There's barely any reference to this overall plot of what's going on in the real world once he gets into the computer. And it's obvious that this film was pitched as a guy gets sucked into a computer and we're going to show computer graphics. What's the plot of it? We'll get to that. We're writing the script right now. But um, (laughs) I heard uh, Seth Rogen um, talking about uh, Sausage Party. He was talking about the creative process where he said the first thing they did is they came up with the title of the film, Sausage Party. So then they were later like, is it a party full of guys? And then so I was like, no, maybe it's about actual sausages that are talking. And then it goes from there and there and there this is the kind of thing that's pitched without actually having anything having to do with the plot in a film like sausage party as long as you have like some stupid jokes in it you're probably going to get away with it but in a movie like tron people are going to be dazzled by the special effects but it's you know a film not like a, a, a you know a thing at the world's fair that you can watch for a few minutes and another thing about this plot it takes a half an hour to get into the computer like get on with it if it's not gonna have anything to do with the plot later like just give it anything like he trips on a wire and gets sucked into the computer who cares <laughs> well you know what's funny is that at one point 
the MCP is saying that like it wants to connect to the Pentagon and like the Kremlin and its board annexing regular programs. It wants to be like taking over the world and like, oh, okay, that could be interesting. It's got kind of uh, War Games vibes here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they completely drop that. Like that could have been the thing. Like Dillinger used this program to like steal Flynn's games and ha ha ha. He's like, you know, low level evil. But now the program wants to take over the world and now Dillinger has to go to Flynn and say, hey, you gotta help me. It's gonna nuke the entire world. Okay, fine. That could have been their way in, but they just don't do that. Also, by the way, in the beginning scenes, like in the real world, Flynn, he got screwed out of the credit for these games, but also he seems to run a very successful arcade. He's doing okay. It's not like he desperately needs the money from the video games to, you know, like pay for his sick wife's surgery or something. You know, he seems to be doing financially okay. Uh, but he does have financial ruin <laughs> coming up in about six years. Oh, well, sure. I do love the scene in the arcade when they're talking to Flynn because he just says man a lot. And seeing Jeff Bridges say that makes me think of Big Lebowski. And then I also just kind of wished I was watching Big Lebowski instead of Tron. But, you know, it, it's cool hearing him talk like that, you know, 25 years earlier. Yeah, it's really fun seeing Jeff Bridges in this film. This scene in the arcade, it just kind of brings back this idea that a lot of people would go to arcades and there would be crowds around an arcade machine. Because people are all surrounding Flynn and when he does well, like everyone's like high-fiving him. I remember back in the 90s, people would crowd around Street Fighter games. I was never yeah. good at those games. There would be like three or four people with their quarters lined up there. Like they were next and they had winners. And right. do you remember this Sega hologram game called The Time Traveler? Did you ever get a yes. chance to see this game? Yes. I remember going to some arcade on Long Island. I forget what it was called, but it was like a really big deal because – any game costs like a quarter or a token, but that game was like a dollar or like a bunch of tokens. And it was cool because it was a hologram, but also it was really, really stupid because all you did was like turn left and shoot, turn right and shoot. Well, it was basically Dragon's Lair, but it was a hologram game. So the game was like one of these tabletop games and you would see a video in 3D, it's like that chess game in Star Wars, uh, you know, the hologram games. It was so cool, and it was really kind of a trick with mirrors and curved mirrors. And you're right, the game itself was incredibly stupid. They must have pre-recorded, like, 18 little uh, vignettes of if you turn left and die or if you turn right and successfully shoot the guy. Yeah. And then this goes on like eight or nine times. They even got you to like put in more quarters for like additional lives because it was actually a better bargain because instead of trying to put in four quarters for a new game, you could put in like two quarters for a couple more lives. And you'd be like, ah, this is a better chance at winning. And, you know, you never won. So, yeah, I mean, I, those are the games that I remember big crowds around. You know, it is a thing of the past. So that definitely does not stand the test of time. Right. 
And meanwhile, like inside the computer, Flynn has to like play these video games for real for his life because the MCP wants to like toy with him. And he even says like, make him play the games and let him get good at the games and then we will kill him, which I get it is like, you know, every Bond villain. It's like, you know, you could just shoot him right now and kill him and be done with it. But like. You would think that for a computer program that would understand logic, they would just want to kill this threat and neutralize it right away. And instead, they're like, no, let's train it to be really, really good. Like, why? Why? Why would you do that? That doesn't make any damn sense. Again, the plot is very thin. And, you know, this whole getting sucked into a computer, it was all about seeing these games. These games were designed first. The video games around these games were designed as well, and they were quite successful. Uh, You know, while you're watching these games, you could see this is a video game in the making, a lot of these things. So... One of the games, it, it's sort of like a, a game where they throw these discs at each other. And it's sort of in a game of dodgeball where you can bounce this digital disc around the walls. And, and if it hits the floor, the floor will disappear. And it really reminded me of something. I'm going to show you this word here. How do you pronounce that? Hialai. You know what Hialai is? Yeah, I took Spanish in high school. So we learned about Hialai. Really? You learned about it in Spanish class? That's hysterical. I've seen it. I've bet on it when I was younger. Like, we went with my family. I remember taking out of my Garfield wallet. Like, I gave my dad, like, five bucks and, like, we could bet on it. Like, he didn't, he was like, all right, I'll play space for you guys. And we sat there, like, all night. Now, this is the only time in my entire life we ever did this. This is because we were in Florida and, like, visiting grandma for the week. You know, my dad never took us to the track. In fact, my dad, he hates gambling. So the fact that we ever went to this thing, like, he just wanted something to do when we were in Florida. Like, I guess, you know, was, you know, we'd go out to a restaurant, and, you know, was, I guess I guess we can go to Highlight tonight. That's something to do. But Highlight is this weird sport. Imagine the game of uh, racquetball or squash where you're hitting a, a ball against a wall, except the wall is, like, two or three times as far away as a squash court, and it's not a rubber ball. It's, like, as hard as as a billiard ball and instead of having a racket that you uh that you bounce the ball off of you're holding this weird sort of it's like a sickle that you could kind of pick up the ball like a lacrosse stick and you pick up this ball and hurl this rock hard cue ball as hard as you can at a concrete wall and it bounces and you play it a certain number of points and that's what this game looked like yeah, I think it was very much meant to look like High Alive, but a digital version of it. Again, I wasn't impressed with the the visuals in this movie. I get it that it was very, very cool 40 years ago. And, you know, cool to give uh, High Alive its due, I guess. Um, neither here nor there, but one thing that I found really, really weird was that the programs inside the machine, they all refer to their programmers as users, and not programmers, and I'm not like a software engineer, but to me, the right word from a 2022 point of view is programmers, and they just keep saying users. I found that confusing. You know, I was confused as to whether the user meant the programmer or whether in sort of a Wreck-It Ralph way, was this somebody controlling them? Because it's almost like a reverse matrix uh, or almost like the first part of the matrix. Like, this is not the real world. There's a world outside of here. And the MCP, 
is basically trying to suppress that information. This is actually kind of an intriguing plot. I I don't think there's really much that they do with it. Well, it's a commentary on religion that, like, some programs believe in their users, but we must snuff out this theory that there are users. Like, yeah, okay, that could be interesting as a concept that these programs believe in a higher power, but maybe it's not real. And why does the big, powerful guy in charge want to suppress that belief? Like, that's interesting, but they do nothing with it. It goes nowhere. It's not developed in any way. And also, the programs inside the machine look like they're quote-unquote users, the people who programmed the program. So there's Alan outside of the machines in the real world, and then there's Tron. That's his program that he created, and it's the same actor. And, you know, there's there's many different versions of that throughout the movie. Laura, she's Yuri inside the machine, and, you know, that gives the, uh, the actor something else to do, and that's kind of interesting, I guess, maybe. I kind of feel like it's not that creative. It's like, oh, that's a mildly interesting idea. Meh. You know, Tron itself is an interesting concept. It's a program that was made to kind of try to root out bad programs, almost like what we would today call an antivirus program, yeah. uh, something like that. And I couldn't tell who's the hero. Is it Tron? Is it Flynn? Then Flynn winds up getting these sort of Neo-like powers because he is a user. Flynn is able to kind of break some of the rules and he's able to uh, light cycle off the track and he's able to connect uh, lines on these airships. And they don't really go into why does he have these powers. There could be something interesting there, but they don't really do anything with it. No, they don't. And, you know, even the ending with uh, MCP's uh, defeat, there's nothing really about Tron. Flynn says, I'm going to jump right into the MCP, but won't that kill you? No, it won't. And then he jumps in. It's sort of a, just a deus ex machina, because I guess it opened a window for Tron to throw one of his highlight discs in there. And I guess a highlight disc could blow up MCP. Like, where did this come from? It's a very deus ex machina. Literally deus ex machina. You know, there's a machine here. It was so unsatisfying, the death of MCP. I agree that the death is anticlimactic and unsatisfying. It's not a deus ex machina, though, because they do set it up that, like, they get these discs early on. The bad guy gives them the discs, and they're very important, and you can't lose the disc. And then they call Alan from inside the machine, and Alan puts the program or whatever on the disc, and that's what will defeat the MCP. Like, all of the beats are there. Oh, I missed that part about Alan. And Alan, uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always feel weird when we talk about a movie where there's an Alan. Uh, But it's not a deus ex machina, but it is lame. It is anticlimactic. And then once MCP is defeated, you know, like I said before, it's not the world is saved. Yay, we averted World War Three in a nuclear holocaust. It's yay, now Flynn has a piece of paper that says he invented the games. And it's not even yeah. the games, plural. It's just one game. I was reading in the trivia that they were going to have a list of all of the games, but then they thought that would be too confusing for audiences. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not what's confusing for audiences. What's confusing for audiences is literally every other thing about this movie's plot, which is 
really just messy and incoherent. So, Alan, uh, does 1982's Tron stand the test of time? I don't think I've been doing a good job of hiding my disdain for this movie. I really, really didn't like it. It's boring as all hell. It's so slow. Everything that's happening on screen, it just looks like garbage. I said it looks like Atari 2600. You said that's not true. Fine. Maybe it looks like Virtual Boy. You're one of the few people I know that has a Virtual Boy. But like, it's supposed to be cool because it's virtual, but also it's just red lines. And in this movie, it's like black lines and red lines and blue lines. I wasn't impressed. I watched this movie with my kids. Honestly, I don't know that they're ever going to want to watch another movie with me ever again when I say, hey, I'm watching this movie for the podcast. You want to join me? I may have violated their trust in like a really profound way that they will never want to watch a movie with me again. And the movie that we're going to do next week, I was kind of hoping that they would watch that one with me too. They might not now because they were so pissed and so bored that this was the movie I picked for movie night. It's lame. The plot is boring and low stakes and kind of hard to follow. Also, like everyone inside the computer program kind of looks the same because they're wearing like those helmets and everything and the focus is terrible and you know it's not like one guy has a mustache or one guy has a beard they kind of just all look alike i don't like this movie i do not think it stands the test of time i feel like i'm losing nerd points here I kind of feel like uh, I did when we talked about Blade Runner, and I really didn't like that movie either. Are nerds like going to be up in arms and calling for my head? I don't know. I just don't get it. I don't see the appeal. And I understand that it's a cult classic, but I remember thinking when they made the sequel back in 2010, I was like, why? Why would you make a sequel to this? And I understand, yeah, IP, a name recognition, something that people recognize, But this movie is a cult classic, and it's got a dedicated fan base, but a small fan base. So I didn't really understand why they wanted to turn it into a franchise. And when they announced that they were making a a Tron roller coaster at Disney World, I had the exact same reaction. Why? You have a million things you could turn into a roller coaster at Disney World. Why this? Do people really care that much about Tron? If they do, fine. I just don't understand it. Maybe the sequel was better. Maybe the spinoff TV show was good. Maybe the arcade games were fine. But this movie is really, really dull. And I don't like it. And I don't think it stands the test of time. What do you think, James? Well, um... Tron is an important IP, or maybe was an important IP to Disney. And I saw an interview with uh, Joseph Kaczynski, one of the hottest directors in Hollywood right now. He directed uh, Top Gun, Colin Maverick. Maverick. And um, is that Sarah Palin that you're doing when you say it like that? That was Sarah Palin. Uh, well, no, that was Tina Fey doing Sarah Palin. Oh, um, okay. Very, very timely uh, joke there, James. You know, it's all I can think of when I see the word maverick forever. It's Sarah Palin's exaggerated maverick. Okay. And Joseph Kaczynski, he said that 
Disney didn't really have a really futuristic CGI IP at the time, and then they made Tron Legacy. Tron Legacy was going to lead to another film, but then they got Marvel and they got Lucasfilm. Basically, he said Tron was kind of put on the back burner by then. And, you know, they still own it. They wound up making a series. I don't know what it was called. It was it was a cartoon series for a few seasons. Uh, there's always been talk of rebooting it. My guess is they'll probably redo a Tron film every, like, 30 or 40 years to kind of just showcase the best of the best. And, you know, speaking of the uh, sequel, first of all, the soundtrack awesome it's a a daft punk they did the entire soundtrack it's fantastic i saw that in 3d it's to this day one of the only films i'm really glad uh that and avatar i'm really glad i saw in 3d during that whole like five or six years with a you know it was like five bucks more for 3d and it was always not worth it but uh tron legacy was a beautiful movie but that being said, um, the special effects we already talked about at, at nauseum. Some of them still do work for me in a weirdly retro way, but I hated the looks of all the humans. Their faces are almost grayscale, like they're black and white. And for whatever reason, I'm sure it had to do with the brightness that they can get this uh, integrated on their chest, but like all these LEDs that they have on their bodies – they look horrible, and so it's like, it's distracting to watch. It was honestly giving me a headache. Like, it kind of hurt my head watching this movie. Yeah, and the film, I will say, was actually a little bit better than the first time I watched it, because I thought it was so bad, like you did the first time I saw it. And on second view, I actually liked it a little bit better, a little bit better. But uh, overall, I mean, I mean, the film just does not stand the test of time. Yeah, it really doesn't. And honestly, watching a movie about like people inside video games, it kind of just made me want to watch Wreck-It Ralph again. Like, I really liked Wreck-It Ralph. I haven't seen that movie in a while. And I was kind of wishing that I was watching Wreck-It Ralph instead of Tron. And it reminds me of an old computer game from the 1990s called Three in Three, where the first three was the numeral and the second was spelled out. It was a game uh, on the computer where during a power surge, a number three gets zapped into the computer. And it's just like all kind of little puzzles that you have to do to get out. But it's an animated little three like you'd see on a Sesame Street. But that game was more fun than Tron. Uh-huh. I'm also willing to bet that Astro Bears is a better video game than the old Tron video game. So sorry, nerds, if we've upset you that we didn't like Tron, but that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we're going to be talking about a movie that's celebrating its 30th anniversary, Three Ninjas. We were just talking about that a couple weeks ago, and then I saw that the anniversary was coming up. I'm like, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to do Three Ninjas. And the weekend after that, are we doing Three Ninjas Kickback? And the weekend after that, are we doing uh, Three Ninjas at the uh, High Mountain, High Noon Mountain or something? We are not going to do the sequels. No, I do not think I have the stomach for that. Did you just do a not joke, Al? It's basically what I say to the kids when they're like, can we have ice cream for dinner? We can not do that. Dad! Yeah, it's the dramatic pause joke. 
but I'm excited to talk about Three Ninjas. I think it's been 30 years since I've seen that movie. That'll be a good time. Until then, as always, talk to us on social media. We are at Tested Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And uh, we will see you next time, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. End of live. End of podcast. <laughs>